0: Well, you know, we have this is the 10th. Next Sunday is the 17th, and then it's Christmas Eve. We have service on Christmas Eve and, and just two more Sundays. So Christmas is coming up quickly, and I just wanted to take these next 3 Sundays as we're heading into Christmas to focus on the theme of Christmas. Amen. And Uh, Really, what I want us to do is, like I mentioned earlier, I want us to discover the joy of Christmas. And the primary way I want to do that is by looking, uh, I want to use a text from Colossians as the theme for our teaching this Sunday and next Sunday, and it's actually Colossians 3.16. You know, how many know, uh, a few weeks ago when I was teaching through 2 Timothy, when we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I mentioned how, There's a lot of 3.16 references that are really good. Genesis 3.16 is the prophecy about the Messiah who comes. You know, John 3.16, everyone knows that. Um, You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, the inspiration of Scripture. 2 Peter 3.16, the same thing. There's many, many, many great 3.16s. Luke 3.16 is awesome about how Jesus, you know, is anointed by the Spirit. He's the, the Spirit baptizer. A lot of wonderful ones. Well, Colossians 3.16 is another 3.16. We should all memorize. Commit this verse to memory. And this is what it says, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, when I think of the word dwelling in us richly, what I primar- the first thought that comes to my mind is the word of God himself, Jesus Christ, dwelling in Mary, right? And so I immediately begin to think of the Christmas season. And I want to look at three examples of people in the Christmas story. You know, the Christmas story is Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. And we're going to look at three individuals in Luke's telling of the Christmas story, Luke 1 and 2, who really put this verse to practice. They had the word dwelling in them richly, and they admonished everyone around them in song, in hymn, and in spiritual song. So the first point I want to make, the first individual I want to look at is this, the example of Mary's song, the example of... Of Mary's song you know she in the most literal of ways had the Word of God dwelling in her right in fact the Word of God literally dwelled inside of her for nine months right for the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the Word of God in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God he was in the beginning with God And the Word was made flesh and and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. This is the one who was in Mary's womb. Well, the first way, you know, the Word came and dwelt among us, as John says, he came and dwelt among us. Before he was dwelling among you and me, he was dwelling inside of Mary. In Mary. In Mary. You know, it's hard to imagine what that would have been like for Mary that the eternal, almighty Word of God took up residence inside of her. You know, I don't know, we're not told how different it might have felt from other pregnancies on her average days, you know, during those nine months. But I do know that at least on some occasions, things were quite drastically different than a normal pregnancy. For instance, we know that immediately after she consented to the word of God, let it be to me according to your word, and God overshadowed her with the Holy Spirit, and she conceived, right? We know that she was basically in a rapturous moment when she was with her cousin Elizabeth, and in that rapturous moment, she broke out into what? She broke out into song, into song. You know, Mary shows us that when the Word truly dwells in us richly, when the Word, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, dwells in us richly, we will sing, right? There will be spontaneous outbursts of joy when the Word, in all of its truth, when we come to know the Word, guess what? The Word will set you free. And that's what was happening with Mary. She understood who that word was inside of her, and she began to sing about the freedom that all of his people would have in him. You know, when the angel Gabriel first greeted her, his first word to Mary was this in Luke 1, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one! The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You know, in light of the Word coming to dwell inside of Mary, the angel Gabriel calls on her to rejoice. You know, let me tell you what, when we have the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, there will never be a reason to not rejoice. There will be a steady flow of joy no matter what is going on in life. And notice, three things Gabriel says about Mary that should cause her to rejoice. He says, number one, she is highly favored. Right. right? Other translations say, she is full of grace. He says, two, the Lord is with you. And then thirdly, he says, she is blessed. She is highly favored. The Lord is with her. And she is blessed. You know, that is the state of, Of all of those who have the word of Christ dwelling richly in you. How many here have Christ dwelling in them? I tell you what, let me tell you something. I can tell you the same thing Gabriel told Mary. You are highly favored, (laughs) right? Uh, The Lord is with you and you are blessed. And what does that mean? It means we can rejoice like the angel Gabriel told Mary to rejoice. In fact, that word he uses to rejoice simply means this, to delight in God's grace, to experience his favor, to be conscious of his grace. That's what what Gabriel's calling her to do. Be conscious of what God has given to you, Mary. It's the greatest gift ever, so rejoice in light of that fact. Be glad. And then he goes on to tell her that she will be the mother of the messianic king who will Uh, sit on the throne of David and who will rule forever and ever and ever. Well, after Mary receives the word of the Lord through Gabriel, right? And she says, let it be to me according to your word. What does she do? Anyone remember? She goes from Nazareth and she goes, you know, she takes the, the long journey down to the hill country of Judea. If she's going quickly, it says she went with haste. Maybe she's going 20 miles a day. Maybe she makes it down there in three, four days. I don't know. But she goes with haste to the hills of Judea. And whose home does she enter? She enters the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Angel Gabriel, just six months earlier, appeared to Zechariah in the temple. And she had probably heard this story. She knew what was going on there. And she goes, and she's like, yeah, Gabriel, that guy who hasn't appeared in 500 years, last time he appeared to Daniel, I know he appeared to you. Guess what? He just appeared to me. You got the boy who's going to be the herald of my boy. And so what happens is as she goes into the hill country, well, upon greeting Elizabeth, there is a holy, wondrous dance, right? We're told that Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, that John, he is filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit baptizer himself just entered the room, right? Just as like a one-week fetus, right? And he baptizes that little six-month-year-old in the mother's womb. How many know the the womb is always sacred in in the Bible, right? Life begins at conception. This is one thing this story tells us, right? Here we see two babies dancing. They were just conceived, right? This is one reason why in the book of Judges when Samson is born who's a type and picture of Christ his mother is told not to drink any strong drink or wine. Why? Because he was supposed to be a Nazirite from conception. So because the baby takes in what the mother drinks, she couldn't even drink wine because the moment he was conceived in the womb he was a Nazirite unto God, right? The Bible always shows us that holy assignments, that personalities, that the development of life, that personhood begins right there in the beginning. And and what happens as these babies are bouncing around? And we're told that John leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Well, we're told that Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She has a holy revelation. She has a revelation, you know, even before Mary says anything, that that Mary is the mother of her Lord, Jesus, right? And and in light of of the dancing of John and and, and the inspired song of Elizabeth, what happens is Mary breaks out into song, right? Right? She doesn't respond to Elizabeth with words. she responds to her with song. She admonishes her cousin, not just by speaking about Gabriel, but by singing the truth. Look what she says, Luke 1:46. And Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior." <laughs> I'm stop right there. You know, in song, what do we do in song? We are always supposed to be magnifying the Lord, right? That is what is important about our worship. It is that it is when we are in rapturous praise and thanksgiving for what he for who he is and for what he has done that we are properly worshiping. You know, we point away from ourselves and, and we point to God Almighty. And in that posture, there is always reason for joy. In fact, in the next breath, she calls God her Savior. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we will constantly be rejoicing in God our Savior. We will be singing with what? With grace in our hearts, as Colossians says. When the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you know what else is dwelling in you richly? Grace. What causes you to sing for joy? Grace, right? This is why we preach the gospel of grace here, right? Because it's always about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's the only way we're going to develop. That's the only way we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus is if we're f- firmly rooted in the grace of God in Christ Jesus, right? Where it's, that word is richly dwelling us. It is transforming us. You know, Mary's magnification of the Lord through song, she was just following the footsteps of her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy, great, great right? David. Yeah, she was a descendant of David, just like Joseph was. In fact, the lineage of Jesus in Luke is is the line of Mary, that Jesus um, comes from from David through the line of Nathan, and then ultimately Mary, and then Jesus. Matthew, it's David, and then Solomon, then ultimately Joseph, and and Jesus. Well, what did our great-great-great-great-granddaddy sing? He said this, Psalm thirty four one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. David knew that he needed to magnify the Lord. Mary knew that she needed to magnify the Lord. And what did she do when she magnified the Lord and and sung about her Savior? Let's read what she goes on to say in verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Aren't you glad Mary's blessed? Hallelujah. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You know, I've been reading, was just, just a side note here. I've been reading uh, the history of the Jews from uh, this period of time the last couple of weeks. I've been reading Josephus' um, The Jewish War. Man. When you read about who she's talking about, the mighty here, they were some really wicked, wicked dudes. I mean, really, really bad guys, okay? Think about like Hitler, okay? There there were a bunch of Hitlers all over the thrones during those days, okay? So when he says he has pulled down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, this was really good news, okay? Verse 53 He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. He's been faithful to his covenant, amen? All his promises he's been faithful to. Well, you know, it's interesting as, she, as she's singing this, when we look at the subject of song and scripture, you know, the, you know when the first time the word sing appears in scripture, the first time we see a song in the Bible? You know when it is? It's in Exodus 15, and you know what the first song is? It's the song of the redeemed. Let's read it. This is right after Passover happened, right after God opened the Red Sea, drowned the Egyptian army and Pharaoh, and now the Egyptians are on the other side of the Red Sea, and what do they do? Exodus 15.1. Then Moses and the children of the Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And they go on and they sing this song. And at the end of this song, we're told this in verse 21. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider. He has thrown into the sea. And we're told that she's got all the ladies behind her. And they got tambourines and they're dancing, right? So while all the redeemed are singing the song, it was in particular Miriam and the women who sang with the most joy. They sang and they danced around. Well, we, we see that you know song... In the Old Testament, we'll see this in a moment, it's primarily and particularly associated with women, even that, though that men are talked about far more than women in the Old Testament. When women are talked about, they're talked about far more with song than men are. <clears throat> and I don't think it's an accident um, you know, that that's the case. I think one reason why this is so is because song is glorified speech right? Speech is just plain words. Well, song is glorifying those plain words and taking it to a new level, right? Well, what is woman? Woman is glorified man, right? She came out of man, and God made her into something more glorious than man. That's why she looks pretty, and, and, and man, you know, isn't supposed to be as pretty as woman. <laughs> Not supposed to be. In fact, First Corinthians 11, you read it, and Paul explicitly says that woman is the glory of man. Okay, man is the glory of God, woman is the glory of man. That means woman is the glory of the glory, right? So, so what she does, what woman does, th- this is one reason why, you know, I, I, you know I'm not, I don't know much about song music in general, <clears throat> but I do know that women tend to be those who can, like, hit higher notes, right? They're like the sopranos, right? I, I, maybe there's some men sopranos, I don't really know. I, but, you know, they're the ones who tend to be, you know, hit those super high, pretty notes, God constructed women, right, with the vessel, at least some of them, gifted some of them that way, where they can sing in ways that m- men can't sing, in, in and I think it may be a more glorious high, high, high way. M- men have their own glory in the way they're singing, but women, you know, they, they have this way of singing. And so what we see is, we see, um, we see Miriam leading the congregation in song and worship and dance. In fact, in Micah 6, we're told about how God led Israel out of Egypt through the leaders of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And it specifically mentions Miriam. Well, how did he lead him out through with Miriam? Well, Miriam is the one who taught the redeemed how to sing. And, and what do we do when we get to the New Testament? We see another Miriam. In fact, you know, a literal translation of Mary's name is simply Miriam. It's Miriam. When we read Luke one and two, we should see the angel Gabriel coming to Miriam. But our English translations, unfortunately, because of the long tradition of how the Latin changed the word Mary, and the English took over the Latin version of Mary, they changed the word to Mary instead of keeping it as Miriam. Okay? But the reality is, when someone is reading the Greek, it clearly, oh, that's Miriam. It's the same Greek word for Miriam in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's Miriam. And so what do we see? We see, well, just as Miriam was singing a song of the redeemed, so Miriam in the New Testament, the mother of Jesus, is singing a song of the redeemed. She is singing about a greater exodus. The horse and the rider will be thrown into the sea again, but this time, right, it's just not going to be the type and shadow of Satan. It is going to be Satan himself who's going to be slayed, right, through Jesus Christ. And she's singing about him. You know, the next time we see someone singing, leading a song in Scripture, in the Old Testament after Miriam, you know what? It's also a woman. It's Deborah, and it's another Exodus moment. It's filled with symbolic images of defeat of the enemy, and in Judges chapter four and five. Uh, she's the, the judge who's leading Israel at that time, and she's got her top general, Barak, and, and they go to Mount Tabor, and they go on top of Mount Tabor, and they come down against the enemy, and they defeat the enemy, and, and they defeat the, the general of, of the, um, the enemy, whose name was Sisera. Remember, Sisera is like the snakes. And what, is, what happens to that snake? Well, Jael, she lulls him to sleep with some warm milk. Hey, baby general, he falls asleep. What does she do? She takes a giant tent bag and she strikes it through his temple, right? And His brains go gushing out and he <laughs> dies on the floor. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of that ultimately the seed of the woman would crush a serpent's head. That's why women throughout the Old Testament, you know what they are? They're serpent crushers. And what do they do? They're not just serpent crushers, but they're the one who sing the songs about the serpent being crushed. And that's why Deborah, she sings. She sings about this victory, and she sings even about J.L.'s part in the victory. This is how she sings in Judges 5, verse 3. She says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to Yahweh. I will sing praise to Yahweh, God of Israel. She goes on in verse 12 and says this. (laughs) Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Awake. She tells herself to awake and sing. You know, we got to tell ourselves that sometime, right? Awake, awake, Josh, right? Awake, awake, sing a song. You've been sleeping too long. Awake to righteousness, right? Awake to grace. Awake to your highly favored status. Awake to the fact that Jesus Christ is dwelling in you. And have him dwell more richly in you than you did yesterday, right? And when you're in that state, begin to sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to his name. No matter what is going on in life, internalize the word of God as a word to you. You are highly favored, right? The Lord is with you, and you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So our soul must magnify the Lord. Our spirit must rejoice in God our Savior, for he has done great things, and holy is his name. I can have glorified speech too, right? Maybe not as glorified as the women, but hey, I can try. You know, the next time after Deborah's song, we see Miriam's song, we have Deborah's song, then the next time we see someone singing song, you know who it is? It's women again. It's in the the time of David. This is right after David killed the serpent Goliath. And after that, we're, we're told of a song that breaks forth after the enemy is slayed, the serpentine figure slayed. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. Now what happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the, woman, the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Right. So the first three mentions of singing in Scripture all have to do with women. And they all have to do with the responses of God bringing great salvation from the enemy. There is Passover victory. There's the defeat of Pharaoh, the defeat of Sisera, the defeat of Goliath. There is a great jubilation and song. Well, the fourth time we see singing mentioned in Scripture is after David begins to reign in Jerusalem. Okay, so his first seven years, uh, he, he uh, reigns in uh, Gibeon, and then he moves finally uh, after he, uh, the civil war dies down and the people are more united. He's able to move the kingdom to Jerusalem in the eighth year. And he begins to reign there. And what does he do? One thing he does is he sets up the, a tabernacle. He doesn't build the temple. Solomon's going to do that. But he sets up a tabernacle, and he begins to set up everything that would happen later at the temple. One thing he sets up is the Levitical choirs. Okay, And so Chronicles spends a whole lot of time talking about how David is setting up Levitical choirs. They didn't have this under Moses in and, and the time of the tabernacle in the wilderness. But now David is saying God is moving history forward, and one way it's going to be moved forward under this new covenant and this new phase of the temple is we're going to have even more glorified speech in the temple. We're going to have a lot of song. So he sets up these giant choirs, these Levitical choirs, and um, this is um, what it says uh, after uh, he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. Remember he gets the Ark of the Covenant and he doesn't follow God's law about the Kohathites who have to carry Uh, the ark, and so what happens is Azza puts it on a wagon, he touches it, and he dies. And it remains, you know what, it remains in the hills of Judea for three months. You know how long Mary remained in the hills of Judea? For three months. She stayed with Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months. Well, just as Mary, who was the ark in a sense, housing the presence of God, the ark was the footstool, it represented the presence of God among them. Mary at that time represented the presence of God dwelling among them. Well, they're both in the hills of Judea for three months. Well, then David, he goes and he finally brings the Kohathite priests who are authorized to carry the ark. They come to Jerusalem with the ark. And then after that, David gives his first psalm, his first song to be sung. It's in 1 Chronicles sixteen seven. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing psalms to Him, talk of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. What did Mary say in her song? She said, holy is His name, right? Her soul, her spirit, her heart rejoiced in the Lord her Savior. You know, Mary, in many ways, was just living out the same thing that, like I said, her great-great-great-great-granddaddy great did David. They magnified the Lord. They rejoiced in the Lord together. They sung about his salvation, right? Wow. Why? Because David had the word dwelling deep inside of him. In fact, he was an inspired writer, right? He wrote many inspired songs himself, and it just came out of him. He sung after richly indwelt him. Well, who's, who's the next example in the Christmas story after Mary who sings? It's Zechariah, and he sings not long after Mary, about three months later, because I think Mary probably stays till John the Baptist is born, because she stays with them for three months. And remember, John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus, so she might stay till the birth of John, and then she leaves. Well, um, then you know John's. A you know, got to do the Jewish thing, right? He's, he got to do the circumcision thing. So on the eighth day, they take uh, baby John to go get circumcised. And, uh, you know, this is the time when you also name the child. You don't just, you know, circumcise him, you name him. And all of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's family is like, you know, uh, why don't you call him Zechariah? And uh, uh, Elizabeth is like, no, he's got to be called John. And at this time, Zechariah is still mute. The angel Gabriel told him he'd be mute. He's been mute for nine months, so he's only been able to communicate by writing. And so they give him a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And in that moment, his tongue is loosed. And what is the first thing he does after not being able to speak for nine months? Glorified speech. He sings, right? He sings, and he sings. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, out comes the song. So the second point I want to make is this, is the example of Zechariah's song. The example of Zechariah's song. Luke 1:76. He sings about John, his baby. He's probably holding him right there, right after he's been circumcised. He's looking at him, and he's singing hallelujah. What does he say? And you, child will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God with which the dayspring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of of peace, into the way of shalom, into the way of wholeness. You know, um, (laughs) that's really, that, you know, um, you know how, how Colossians says, singing to one another with grace in your hearts? Here's what Zechariah had in his heart. Grace. Think of all these things he's saying here, right? He's talking about salvation, the remission of sins, the tender mercy of God, light shining in darkness in the shadow of death, right? Bringing shalom to his people. That's all the result of what? It's the result of grace. Why? Why is grace dwelling richly in Zechariah's heart? Because you know what he's thinking about those nine months? He's thinking about how the angel had commanded him, God had commanded him through the angel to call his son's name John. He didn't pick that name. God picked that name. And why? What does the name John mean? It means Yahweh will be gracious. And all he's thinking about, as he's thinking about John's name, this child he's supposed to have after it's a miraculous birth in his old age, Yahweh will be gracious. The word of grace is deeply dwelling in his heart. And when his mouth is open, all he can sing about is the tender mercies of God, is the remission of sins, is the light that shines in darkness, is the day star from on high. You know, when we have the word, Yahweh is gracious, dwelling deep inside of us, guess what? You're not going to have a bad day, right? You're going to have the best day of your life. So, you know, what does Zechariah's song teach us? It, It teaches us that we need to sing by the Word. We need to sing on the basis of what God says, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't sing according to our feelings. We don't sing according to our circumstances. We sing according to His promises. We sing according to His goodness. We sing according to His grace, right? We sing by faith. And only when we sing by faith are we able to actually follow the instruction of Scripture in Philippians 4, verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord, how? At all times. And in case we forgot about it, again I say unto you, rejoice. How are we going to rejoice in all times? Only one way. The Word must dwell in you richly. The Word of His grace. Okay, and only as the word of His grace is dwelling in you richly are you going to be able to rejoice at all times. That's the only way. <laughs> Otherwise, you know what? You're not going to rejoice. You're going to get all angry and grumpy and bitter and mad and unforgiving. And uh, uh, I got another bad day again. Uh, I'm going to live like the Grinch, uh, right? <laughs> I'm going to live like uh, the devil. Uh, uh, uh. No. I'm going to live like Miriam, hallelujah, like Zechariah. That's what I'm going to live like. You know, uh, this makes me think of one of David's main worship leaders. He-Man, He-Man. Who here wants to be a He-Man? Yeah. He was the starter of the He-Man Woman Haters Club, right? Well, you know, He-Man, he was one of of the, the leaders of the Levitical choirs. He was actually a guy who wrote some of the Psalms. And in fact, he was so important that his family was also all involved musicians and singers. We're told that he had 14 sons and three daughters, and they were all part of the worship team there at the temple. And, um, you know, uh, I want to read, it names all of his sons. In fact, I want to read the names of his sons (laughs) from his sixth son to his 13th son, because there's a message in it. Okay, his sixth son's name is Hananiah, which means be gracious, Yahweh. His seventh son, Hanani, be gracious to me. His eighth son, Eliathan, my God, thou. His ninth son, Gedalti, I've praised. His tenth son, Ramamti Ezer, and exalted for helping. You know, Ezer is the helper, that's who Eve is to Adam, the the strong helper. Eleventh son, Josh Bekashan, though sitting forlorn. The twelfth son, Malathi, I've proclaimed. The thirteenth son, Hothir, highest. The fourteenth son, Mahazioth, visions. So you put the names of his sixth to his fourteenth son and you just read them as their names and this is what it is in a sentence. Be gracious, Yahweh, Be gracious to me. My God, though I've praised and exalted for helping. Oh, thou, sorry. My God, thou I've praised and exalted for helping. Though sitting forlorn, I've proclaimed highest visions. Now, um, I like that, that last phrase, you know. Though sitting forlorn... I've proclaimed highest visions. You know, that should speak to all of us in troubled times, right? That no matter what season we are going through, we are called to praise, right? This is my prayer in the desert, right? When all that is within me feels dry, I will sing praise, I will sing praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain, right? I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory. He is here. They sang. You know, David modeled his own life. Though sitting forlorn, he, he, he proclaimed highest praises. You know, a lot of the psalms of David, what they are, they're when he was in trial before he was raised to the throne. They're when he's running from Saul and he's hiding in caves, right? Psalm uh, 2 Samuel 23 calls David the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's, he's writing sweet psalms in the most dire situations, and he makes known what these dire situations are, yet he always ends it on a high note of praise. Always. The psalm starts off like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And, it, and at the end, he's singing praises to the Lord. Almost always. And th- I want to give an example, Psalm 7, verse 1. David singing, O oh Lord my God, in you I put my trust... Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. At the end, he says this, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. How about Psalm 57? This is to the chief musician. It's set to do not destroy. It's of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. He says this, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongues a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the nations. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Why was his heart steadfast? Because he had the word of Christ dwelling richly in him. He had the word of grace dwelling richly in him, so when he's among all these lions who are roaring at him, full of on fire, guess what? He says, "My heart is steadfast. I am not moved. I'm unshakable, and I'm going to sing in the midst of this storm." Verse eight: "Awake, my glory! Awake, lute and harp! I will awaken the dawn." I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Amen. So I'll tell you what. I want to give one last example. It's this. We saw the example of Mary singing, the example of Zechariah singing, point number three, the example of the angel army song the example of the angel army song, right? So it's not just men and women who are singing. There's one other rational creature in God's world, you know who it is? It's the angel. And they're also singing. You know there's only songs in the Gospels, in the four Gospels? There are only songs in the Christmas narrative. It's only in the Gospel of Luke. It's first Mary, then Zechariah, then the angel army. What does it show us? It shows us during Christmas... What are we supposed to be doing? Singing. If there is ever reason for joy, it's that God has come among us. Rejoice. Earth and heaven can't hold back their song. Jesus is born. And who does God want to inform about his birth? He says, who should I send a multitude of the heavenly host to? Should I send them to the rabbi? Should I send them to the kings? Should I send them to, you know, uh, all of the Jews over in Babylon? No, I'm going to send them to the lowest strata of the social order. I'm going to send them to the shepherds. And he says, okay, multitude of heavenly hosts, go to the shepherds in the hills of Judea. This is what happens in Luke 2, verse 10. Then an angel said to them, to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Joy! Which is for who? All people. Is there joy for you today? Yes. Yes. There is. Yes. Why? What is it? Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, there was born for you 2,000 years ago a what? A Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Almighty. And this will be the sign to you: you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel of the Lord spoke, and then suddenly, the veil of heaven is torn back even more. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, God's angel army, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." What do they do? They no longer can just speak; they gotta sing. The birth of the Savior is reason for song. we got to admonish one another. How? With song, with hymns, with spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord. The angels are doing that all the time, right? In fact, when God created the earth, God tells us, he tells Job in Job 38, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? When the stars of God sang, he's speaking about the angels, You know, know, when God was creating the earth, you know what was happening? All the heavenly hosts was singing as he was creating the world. (laughs) Anyone here like Lord of the Rings? Uh, You know, Tolkien's creation narrative, uh, the Similarion, is that what it's called? Yeah, something like that. He has this beautiful picture of all the angels singing as God creates everything. But but that's what was happening. Everything was being created, the angels are singing, and then... Later, Isaiah, he gets a vision of the heavens, right? And what are the seraphim doing around the throne of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, John gets a vision in Revelation, right? What are they doing? They're singing praises not just to God, but to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, for He is God, right? And here we see a multitude of these people. They come, and again, just as they're singing in heaven, now they're singing to earth. What do they want us to do? They want us to join the songs of heaven, Right? That's why when we come and we worship together, right? Aren't you glad we don't have to, we're not commanded anymore to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship the Lord in that one place at the temple? No, of course not. Why? Because where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And when two or three Christians are gathered anywhere, there is the temple of God. And we come together and we come before the throne of God together and we come with all the angels of heaven and we worship the Lamb and we worship God and we're renewed in this time, right? We need this time. I don't know about you, but I need every Sunday, right? So that's what's happening. The angels are singing and they're calling the shepherds to enter their song. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. We have it far better than Miriam had it, than Deborah had it, than David had it, than Mary had it, than Zechariah had it, right? You and I have had the Word of God come and dwell inside of us. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anybody love me, I and my Father will come and we will make our home in them. Jesus made his home inside you, if you love him. What does that mean? It means, okay, I need to now have Christ grow inside me, as Paul says to the Galatians. I need to have this word grow richly developed inside of me. And when the word of Christ is dwelling inside of me with a richness, then you know what can happen is my speech isn't going to be grumpy anymore. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be singing the songs about Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be nice, right? What was Paul and Silas doing, right? They had just been scourged by the Romans. What does that mean? It's like when Jesus was scourged. They're bloody. They're beaten up. They're put in chains. They're put in the darkest prison. What would most people be doing? Cursing those Romans, right? But what are they doing? They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. (laughs) They're rejoicing in the Lord at all times. Why? Because the word of Christ was dwelling in them richly. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. You know, here's the thing. The Lord has come, but guess what? Earth still has to receive her king. You know, you still have to receive the Lord, right? You still have to be like Mary and consent to the Word. You still have to say, okay, let it be to me according to your Word. John says he came to his own, and his own received him not. They resisted the Holy Spirit. But as many as did receive them, he gave them right to become children of God. (laughs) Let's be those who received the King this Christmas, amen? amen? Let's be those who prove the wonders of his love. Yes. What does prove mean? It means to determine the quality of it by testing, trying it out. Yeah, why don't you test his love this, this month, Amen. I just want to end with this before we partake communion. You know, I've been talking about how song is glorified speech. And if there was ever a time for song where we can rejoice at all times, it's when Jesus came. Who is Jesus? He's the bridegroom. Who's the church? We're the bride. You know, the Song of Songs is all about Jesus' speech of love to his bride, the church, and the bride returning that love back to Jesus. Jesus. And I love what Song of Songs 2 says. This is what the bride says, verse 10. My beloved Jesus, she's talking about, he spoke to me. And he said this Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. I think that's Jesus' invitation to us at all times, right? The winter is past. We might even think about that as the time of the Old Covenant. The spring has come. The time of singing has appeared. So we can rejoice in the Lord at all times. We can be like Mary. The Word can dwell in us richly. And we can admonish one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion. Anyone not have a communion element? Go ahead and raise your hand.